Well, I'm joined on this Colchester podcast by Councillor Kevin Bentley, who is the Essex County Council Infrastructure Cabinet Member. So the, in effect, the Essex Highways Supremo uh, for the whole of Essex County and also the Deputy Leader of Essex County Council. Kevin, welcome. Thank you, Will. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I have to ask you the first question. It's a perennial problem and one that comes up probably more than any other relating to roads, and that is potholes. And this is an issue that comes up by drivers, by cyclists, and even by runners. What what is the what is the big issue with potholes, and what 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 are the what are the causes, and what can we do about them? So you're right. It is a perennial issue. It comes up every year around the winter time. Uh, this winter particularly has been bad across the United Kingdom and Essex, of course, as well. And we had, for those who can remember, back in December, we had three or four days of just hard, continuous rain. That was shortly followed by snow, then bad weather. Uh, and it has, from what we can see, been one of the worst winters for a decade. Uh, and we know this because of the number of time our gritters go out as well. So it's been very cold uh, and our gritters have been out quite a lot this year compared to other years. Uh, and and that's of course has an effect on on the road. Uh, when you resurface roads, when you use roads, of course, it is something that's continually in use, and it does cause problems. Now, of course, we have seen levels of cars and and uh, lorries fall during this awful pandemic, but nonetheless, the weather has a dramatic effect, and that's what suddenly caused this raft of potholes and defects on the roads. Uh, our guys have been working throughout the pandemic. We had to very quickly think about how they could do that safely. So they retrained very quickly. Uh, they go out as teams, but they have to be obviously two metres apart. That's not very easy when you're trying to work and fix roads, but they've managed to do that. And they've carried on through the pandemic. Uh, they're not immune to COVID. So of course, we've had issues with some illnesses as well. Fortunately, people have been okay. And um, uh, then, of course, these are the teams that in the evening get into the gritters and then grit the road. So these guys from my point of view, are just outstanding public servants along with all the other public servants. It's just that they're not seen as, as maybe other public servants are seen. You're right, because there's through, throughout this pandemic, there, there is but a sort of hidden army of people who have just kept the country running, but haven't mm. um, got got the, the praise or recognition that they uh, rightly deserve by you know keeping things like uh, roads operational, uh, which enables emergency services and others, and indeed people just to be able to get to and from work as necessary. And of course, you hit a very important subject there, because during the first lockdown, our priority was to keep all the main roads in very good order because of emergency vehicles. And, and of course, in those days, supply lorries as well, bringing food, because we had to think about that. Uh, and they were originally working on a lot more of the local roads that had to be switched so that work could carry on. Now the work is shifting back to those local roads. And although people will see these defects, now we're in better weather and we're coming into spring and summer, it will start to look a lot better. Our summer programme of resurfacing and redressing roads will shortly be taking place as well. Already the notice has gone out to inform people that roads will be closed while they're being resurfaced, and therefore our teams will be back out doing it. Another interesting byproduct, of course, of the pandemic is many more people, of course, have been working from home. Now, when they work from home, their cars are then parked outside their houses, and that's difficult then to repair roads when you've got lots of cars there. So it's just a byproduct. We've, we've managed to get around that. We've coped the best way we can with that as well. But you are going to see a great improvement in the coming weeks and months now. So talk me through um, the process, because a lot of people won't know. So say they go online, they report a pothole in their street or just around the corner. 
then somebody comes out and does an inspection and sometimes you see them put a sort of paint, a spray paint circle in different colors around a pothole i assume that that says whether it's um the urgency of the job but what happens then how do they how do they um actually organize the the fixing of that pothole so a critically important question uh, every defect is important and every defect ought to be reported you can do that either yourself online you can do it by phoning into highways you can ask your local councillor, whether it be district or county councillor. indeed you can ask your member of parliament and i know will you're very hot on this and you do write to me about road defects so there's various mechanisms you can do it if you go online yourself you will get a personal reference number which tells you about that particular defect and then you can map it on our uh, website to see what the status of that is, when it's being inspected, what they've thought about it, that sort of thing. Now, when you're dealing with a vast county the size of Essex, and we have uh, 5,000 miles of road we look after, if you stretched it all out, you would go from Essex in Chelmsford to New York. That's that's the much road we look after in Essex. And because of that, we have to make sure we fix the worst ones first. So there's a prioritization around this. And therefore, people, inspectors will come out to make sure it's done in the efficient way possible to judge whether this needs immediate repair, whether it needs a, a longer term uh, solution to it, or whether it can just wait a bit longer because it's not as bad as some of the others will be, but it will be done eventually. If it's really bad and it causes an immediate concern, our guys go out and they do what they call make safes. And that's exactly what it sounds like. They come out and I've seen it because I've been with them. Uh, they have uh, bags of ready-made tarmac. They literally thump it into the ground, smooth it off, keep the road safe. They then come back and they will fix that permanently later. There's been a bit of an issue with that with the bad weather we've had, of course, because a lot of the make safes have come out much quicker than they would usually. So we have gone back to do those. So that is how the criteria works. I've also given instructions, well, that if they are in a vicinity and there's another bad pothole that's close by that hasn't been reported, just get that fixed as well, because that's important to, to do that. So what's the what's the technology like? So you, so you say there's a there's a make the make safe. So that's, as you say, when we see people coming with a bag of the the tarmac they thump it all down and then smooth it off at the top and then sometimes you see them cutting out sort of a square or a rectangle and then i've also heard of these uh, machines that can spray into a pothole is that something yes. ethics you're using uh, yes absolutely so all of those three methods so the make safe is exactly what it is it's to make the road safe at that immediate point to come back and do a proper repair we will then come out and you'll see the guys cutting the tarmac out lifting it out smoothing it down doing it properly in terms of making sure that's a permanent fixture and the other one is to spray uh, tarmac in as well to make sure we can get around some of these potholes quicker they tend to be some of the smaller defects that aren't quite as serious as the ones that need cutting out and doing so that happens as well so all this technology but i just want to say on this of course this is a traditional way of fixing a road with tarmac i'm now wanting our uh, engineers and our people at County Hall to start thinking about the future. Very shortly, we're going to have electric vehicles coming in, in by 2030 with this government's excellent view on the climate and what we, sh we should be doing. So we, we need to make sure the roads are in very good condition for those and understand what the, uh, the pressures on the road will be. But one of the things I'm very keen on is being tested, is something called kinetic tarmac. That is where a charge goes into the car as you drive on the road through the tarmac. That's something I'm trying to do. It won't be all stretches of road, but certain stretches of road, but you'll know you can charge to do that, uh, charge your vehicle up when you're going along that area. It's not available yet. It's still very much in the research stage, but I'm very keen that Essex has that kind of road layout in the future as well. And then planning for electric vehicles in terms of charging points. So already I'm looking at Parker rides, working with our district uh, borough and city colleague councils, uh, making sure we can have proper charging points for people 
across uh, the entire county and indeed beyond that as well because i think regionally of transport east which is norfolk suffolk and essex south end and thorough making sure that in that there's a proper plan that you know you can journey in an electric vehicle and make sure that you have enough charge in your vehicle to do so so I've, I've got to ask you because I'm, look, I'm looking out my window at home at the moment as you know i live in colchester and i'm looking at the the, the road now the road is tarmac or asphalt um but the pavements are concrete and i assume underneath the tarmac it's concrete too. Why did we switch from concrete, which I assume is a harder wearing surface, to, to tarmac? What was the logic behind that? And and also, do do you see a future that isn't tarmac? Is are there are there future technologies, you know, of, of that are more more hard wearing coming down the line that we may be looking at? Yeah, so not all roads are tarmac underneath. Some of them have probably different bedding underneath and different layers of how they build up a road properly to have a tarmac surface. Some of the concrete roads you'll find on a lot of the, the housing estates, perhaps those built in the 60s and 70s and 80s, where they put big slabs of concrete down and then you have a tarmac veneer across the top. Now I'm very keen that we look at that properly uh, because what happens is the concrete surface is okay, but the tarmac veneer starts to wear away. And what people describe as potholes aren't really potholes, but they certainly are defects on the uh, on the tarmac there. Uh, the issue, of course, is that tar the concrete can be noisy, which is why they put the tarmac down in the first place. So we're looking at the future of how we can do that. We can't do it overnight. I say to people that highways and infrastructure isn't Amazon. It's not click, swipe, and it arrives tomorrow. It takes time to do these things. But we are looking at the future of, uh, of the roads in Essex. And as you mentioned, of course, it is important we're thinking about that future, what that's going to look like. Uh, you know, we are still repairing roads with the same kind of equipment invented by Tarmac Adam. We now need to think of the next 200 years and how we're going to be travelling around, hopefully not so many of us just in cars and certainly not in diesel and petrol cars, but electric vehicles, but also other sustainable transport as well, which is hugely important and how people can feel safe on the road network. Now, now I've got to ask you about um, work with the borough council and district councils across Essex, because I, a lot of people can get frustrated because they don't always know where to turn when they've, they've got a problem. I think most people know that highways uh, the responsibility of the county council. But sometimes there, there's a bit of a backwards and forwards and uh, either the top tier local authority or the lower tier local authority, in our case, Essex and Colchester, um, both blaming each other and not taking responsibility for issues. And I, I just question how well you work together because things like, um, you know, the underpasses in town get often flooded and the, the county says, well, that's because it's full of leaves and litter because the borough council hasn't picked it up. And then the borough council says, ah, oh, no, no, but that's the... the drains the responsibility of the the county council and, and other things like you know pavements that get ripped up by tree roots well pavements the responsibility of the county but tree maintenance is the responsibility of the borough council mm -hmm. so how do, how do you work together on issues like that to try and resolve them for the benefit of residents uh, well that can depend of course on on the, the particular uh, district or borough you're talking about but on the whole very well uh, it is confusing so this is the issue with the two-tier system when you have one council that does very more local things and you've got a, a county council that does more wider things, not just highways, but adult social care, that sort of thing. I'm a great advocate for uh, that large authority looking after highways. Uh, the reason being is you have to have a real strategic approach to this. Roads aren't just starting and stopping where you live, they are connected to other roads and so it goes on. So you need that strategic approach and also in terms of having a, 
uh, a contractor that does that. It's much easier if you have one that could contract for all sorts of reasons. First of all, they have the ability to be around a county with those local forces on the ground, but also when they procure material, then they can do that at a be better price than 12 different districts trying to do it. So this is this time. is Ringway Jacobs, isn't it? Because you see yes. lots of lots of um, yes. vehicles that are badged, co-badged Essex yes. County Council yes. and Ringway, Ringway Jacobs. Yes, absolutely. So it's Ringway Jacobs. They're our main contractor. I have regular meetings with them to make sure they're doing what they say they're going to do and make sure the work is done. And if it's not, I hold their feet to the fire very firmly about it as well. And we have very professional, but sometimes firm conversations around that. But on the, on the whole, I have to say they do a very good job. I know people do complain because it's something you can visually see, uh, but actually the job that's undertaken is done well and it's done you know throughout the the days and weeks and certainly through the pandemic i think they've been just extraordinary the way they've, they've done that but you're right in terms of confusion uh, between the different levels that i try to stop that wherever i possibly can so one of the things i do all the time people write to me uh, i get hundreds of emails and letters in the course of a week literally hundreds um and i make sure that when replies go back they're as helpful as we can be even when we have to say no sometimes to people's requests and they, they can range from street lamps to potholes to pavements to all sorts of things we want to write me about i try to be as helpful as i can and if we have to say no i explain very carefully why we have to say no and the one thing i absolutely stop is us simply saying well you need to write to Colchester borough council on that that's not our job that's an appalling answer you need to be helped by that and therefore as a customer and a taxpayer my view is we contact Colchester borough council and we do that work for you that to me is proper joined up local government and people should not be pushed from pillar to post because they want something fixed. I, I totally agree. Let's let's talk um, another massive bugbear. And th this is a this is a massive issue in both Chelmsford and Colchester, arguably perhaps even um, worse in Colchester. And that's congestion. Now, some might say that it's because we've built tens of thousands of homes without the adequate infrastructure over decades. Others might say that our congestion in culture is compounded by the fact that we've got a river running through the town we're on top of a hill and that we've never had that ring road um, completed uh, as part of Colchester what why do you think in particular at peak times the roads across Colchester can be pretty jam-packed this is a very important question because it leads on to how we're going to live our lives in the future only one thing causes congestion will that's cars and vehicles that's the only thing that causes congestion now I absolutely understand that many, many people have to use cars. And this is never a, a war on cars with me because I understand people have to use them. But many more people on shorter journeys don't need to use their car. They do it because it's a habit. So what we're trying to do in Essex, not trying, we are actually doing in Essex, is to improve other forms of sustainable transport, whether it be walking, whether it be cycling, and as time comes on with buses when they start getting back into proper service well they are in service now but people starting to use them and the confidence to use them again as they were before then buses as well my view has always been you can't order people to get out of their cars and just say you have to do it what you must do is provide a cheaper more reliable service that's an alternative to using cars you can't do it overnight and that's what the work we're starting now to make sure there are those alternatives in place such as cycling walking e-scooters Colchester is one of the few places in the country currently under a trial by the government via us uh, and spin the company doing it to use e-scooters, alternative ways of getting around. The reason for this is because at peak times, everyone gets in their car. Now, as I said, some people have to do that, but we don't all have to do that at, the, uh, at one go. And certainly if you're under three miles, 
uh, and you have reasonable fitness and health, you ought to be walking or cycling or using the bus where possible. And it's a mindset because, of course, we've spent the last 30 to 40 years encouraging more and more people to use cars. People didn't have this conversation 30, 40 years ago. So if they had have done, it would have been different. And look to some other countries not very far away from where we're sitting at the moment, Will, and they've been doing it properly for all this time because their mindset is different. And it's a mindset issue for me. It's not an order. Everyone has responsibility for congestion and the environment, not just one or two people, every single person has. And if we want to improve our town and the borough for the next generation, it's our job now to put those practices into working order. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fair. And I, I think one of the um, big arse I always get from people is, uh, we, we really need more infrastructure and to make our roads additional lanes. And, and actually, the county councils made huge investments uh, into Colchester, um, which, which unfortunately does mean additional disruption, because mm. you know when you secure those tens of millions of pounds to, to make big infrastructure changes around the town, like adding extra lanes and redoing roundabouts, which build that extra capacity that reduces the congestion. There's that old adage, isn't there, that you can't make an omelette without cracking <laughs> eggs and people want the they want they want these works to be undertaken they want the investment but they don't want the disruption that comes with it so yeah. in that vein i can't not talk about ipswich road and the ipswich road roundabout which is one of the probably biggest highways issues that yeah um, it's it's a bit like the the sort of never ending story this one but i know the end is in sight and you'll tell us a bit about that but pe- people are concerned at how long it's taken to adapt two roundabouts into one um, now, I know much of the work was underground. I came and visited the site. It's where all of the main utilities between Colchester and Clacton run under the A133 and through that roundabout. But could you could you give us a, a, a bit more of an ins- insight into why it's taken so long? Yeah, absolutely. So so it's one of those projects when I came into this job that I, I inherited. Uh, so uh, not but that's an excuse, but of course, I had to learn very quickly about the project itself because I came into this job just as it was about to start. And of course, this is about uh, providing extra road space for the town. Uh, I, I will say, of course, if you build more roads, the more cars uses them. So more roads doesn't cure uh, congestion unless the way you use the roads in the future uh, helps. Now, let me go on to Ipswich Road specifically and also the Harrods Road. You must forget that it was all that section. So it was originally scheduled for 18 months to two years to do the work. And the first year of that, none of the road, the civil engineering work, took place. It was all underground. That's why you had complaints from people saying, we saw all this signage and there was cones and everything was changing, but we couldn't see any workforce and work crews on the area. Well, they were there. They were just underground. And if you looked, you'd seen huge holes. I think I was with you when I showed you one of some of those big holes in the ground. Literally, they were into the chambers uh, where they had to move the telecommunications and also the water. Now, in those two particular areas, the telecommunications, it was all the telephone lines from Harridge and the tendering area that were coming through there. It was a huge trunk. That's why trunk roads are called trunk roads, because they carried all the trunk that came down. And also close to it was uh, a huge water pipe that had that have been uh, damaged anyway at all, would have flooded that area of culture very quickly. So you don't just pick these up and move them very fast. It takes a while to do that. And they had to make those changes to make that happen. And when the, the BT tells me when they got underground, they found some switching gear. They was so old they weren't even aware what it was first of all they had to spend some time doing that so that was a piece of work that took a year to do and uh i think people really didn't understand that was awful enough explaining it so i mean sure we did very quickly explain that what was going on and why that took place after that year we then had the civil engineering work start and all the the work you've seen going on 
Now, when you're when you're building a lane, you don't just slap two bits of tarmac down either side and hope for the best. You have to really landscape that planet. You've got to get underneath to build the soil up, as you talked before about how roads are built. We had to move the retaining wall by Waitrose, and that was a hugely complicated piece of work. You don't just pick up a wall and move it several feet back and put it down again. You have to absolutely do huge amounts of work. And the one thing I know about engineering I've learned is a lot of it is under the ground, not what you see above the ground. And Waitrose were just tremendous on that. We worked very closely with them, and they were really a great help in all of that and we made that happen so that was a complicated piece of work that we did and we did absolutely on time and all credit to all the engineers and all the people at Waitrose and all the customers that made that happen it was a bit of grief for a few weeks that actually will have many years of benefit then of course we had COVID so as we thought we were coming towards the end of this work two things happened first of all we had COVID and we had to stop the work initially because these guys have to work very closely together so we had to think how we were going to manage that. And after a few weeks of training and thinking about it and planning, we could get back onto site and start the work. Of course, a bit slower because we had those restrictions in place. And then under the Cowdery Bridge, for those who know where I'm talking about, just opposite Lake Trace, when we got to the bridge, we suddenly found a lot of defects. And I think I've shown you, Will, and certainly in the paper, some of those large gaps. It wasn't, this wasn't part of the original scheme but suddenly we had a safety issue on the bridge that we had to tackle. Now, I was given, as a politician, the decision. Councillor, you can either just ignore that and we'll just finish the road on time, or we have to fix the defects. It's a no-brainer. Public safety is the most important thing. We found those defects and we fixed them. There are more need to be done, and that work will have to be done offline towards the summertime, but the, the major problem has been fixed, and the roads are now being resurfaced. As I speak, as we record this, they're being resurfaced by the end of this month, that work is then fully completed. The Harry's Road bit, by the way, was completed several months ago. Yeah, and it's looking it's looking really good. And and I think sometimes people forget. I mean, I remember when the work was being done on Colnbank Avenue to add those extra lanes, and people were very unhappy about that. But look how the traffic flows there now mm. uh, as part as part of this. Now there are two other things which people often raised me about the Ipswich Road. One is, um, and I suspect these are down to network rail, but I'd be interested to hear your views. One is the um, Harris fencing, which just looks awful, so untidy. Uh, and I know when I asked the contractors there if they could do something about it, they were going to take it away and look at it and they were, they were coming up with some options. And then the other is the sort of concrete blocks. Um, is the plan for them to stay or is there is there something more aesthetically pleasing that can be done? Uh, so I agree with you, by the way. This is about safety, which, of course, has to be the prime aim of anything we do on highways is the safety of the, the public and the travelling public, uh, whether it be pedestrian or, or in vehicles. So uh, Harris fencing has to be there. I, uh, they did go away and look at whether they can make a better design, but it has to be there. Or we have to reconstruct that bridge in some way to make it safe by modern standards in terms of people not being able to get over the top of it. So that's why the Harris fencing is there all anywhere near that, that side of the bridge. And the blocks too, the same thing to make sure that they're held down and, and everything is in place. What I absolutely want to do is look in the future, because, you know, Colchester is an historic town. It's not just Roman history, it's all periods of history from 2000 years ago. And the period of history we're talking about here is around the 1930s and that sort of thing. So whether there's something we can look at to put it back into that style, I think would be really good. I don't have the money to do that. When I say I don't, I don't have money. No council has money. They have the taxpayers' money. So therefore, we've got to invest that wisely. And there are many calls on the taxpayers' purse for all sorts of things that need to be done, not just highways, but many other things. And therefore, we can't do it straight away. But I absolutely agree with you. And we are going to look at how we can make that a lot better and, and much more aesthetic in terms of 
the way people feel about it when they see it and the way it shows off culture as well. Because you don't want to look like a building site forever. No, you're right. And, and, and I think, I suppose one of the questions I have about the Ipswich Road site is how, and it's about any major infrastructure project really across Essex, how do you get the balance right? How do you work it out in terms of, you've, you've obviously got a, you know, a finite amount of money. You've got a budget within, like a budget envelope in which to work because you've got to make sure something's good value for taxpayers. Um, but at the same time, you don't want these things to go on and on and on. You know, and I remember a lot of people ask me, oh, we never see uh, contractors working on Ipswich Road in the evenings at the weekends. Now, I assume that would add quite a lot of significant mm. costs. So how, how do you work out the length of time it'll take versus the cost and also the disruption involved to businesses yeah. and individuals? Yeah, so, so I, I asked that question when I, when I said I inherited this particular scheme. I said, that, you know, you're working just during the weekdays, not weekends and evenings. Why? Well, the evenings, of course, are difficult because it's also a residential area. I suppose that's in my certainly the Harry's Road part of it, very much residential area. Yeah, so and piling, but, piling and things like that. It's really noisy, isn't it? Because they're sort it, of they're bashing giant you know, sheets of steel into the uh, um, yeah. or iron or whatever into the into the into the ground. It's usually yeah. noisy. It is very, very noisy, extremely noisy. And, you know, you wouldn't want that going on through the night. So that's why we could do evening working. Uh, weekend working, well, I did ask that question. But actually, the way the job's done, it wouldn't have actually been done any quicker because you can only do certain things at certain times. So you can't do it any quicker. We did it in the most cost-effective way possible and the fastest way possible to get this done. I mean, we were hit by the coronavirus and the findings of the Cadre Bridge, which we weren't expecting either of those. Uh, and it was, everything was absolutely on track until we hit that particular point. So that is that is why we have to be very careful about how we do it. You can't simply say, go and do that because it's much quicker. The one thing I've absolutely discovered, uh, I'm not an engineer uh, and I wouldn't profess to be, I'm a politician, uh, but I've learned an awful lot from engineers in all of this. And one thing I've absolutely learned is it doesn't matter what plan you have in place, the minute you put a spade in the ground, it can change quite rapidly. And therefore, you've got to be able to adapt to that very quickly as well. So you have to plan for that in contingencies, which we did. And we didn't find too many differences when we started, but we were, of course, hit by two things we weren't expecting. And of course, you have to build that into the programme as time rolls on as well and make sure there is contingency money there for that, which, of course, we have. So the, the Ipswich Road is very much a project you inherited. We've got a project coming down the track which is saint bottles roundabout what 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 a, a lot of residents will be concerned about that and a sort of repeat of ipswich road what assurances can can you can you give residents so so this is actually a project you're quite right that i uh, well i sort of inherited it but I, the original plan i stopped okay so when i saw it all we were doing is building more lanes of traffic around uh, St Bottle's Circus and I thought no we can't do that we've got to think we you know this we're going to do this for the next hundred years we've got to get this absolutely right and start thinking ahead about how we want to travel so what we've done and, and what when St Bottle's was built it was a fantastic thing but what we have of course is a, a mini country park surrounded by a roundabout at the moment which is nice but people aren't using it that way anymore and the demands on the road system are very different to what they were back in you know the 30s and 40s when they built St Bottle's so we've got to think carefully now that particular area very historic part of Colchester. In fact, there's no part of Colchester Town Centre that's not historic, but this particularly, on one side, you've got uh, the, the very famous war built by the French uh, prisoners of war um, uh, that did all that. You can't change that. So some people said to me, can't you move that road back and widen the Mersey Road? No, not really, because uh, I think lots of people would be very upset if we tried that. And you do have that very narrow exit and entrance to and from Mersey Road. So you have to be very careful about that. On the other hand, 
what are we going to do around the St. Botolph's and Queen Street area? Now, I think there's a golden opportunity here to make sure that vehicles can move freely, but also a real opportunity to make sure we can use alternative forms of transport. So having proper segregated walkways and segregated cycleways. This is where cyclists and pedestrians and cars move in their own lanes completely separate from each other and very safely. Imagine if you can cycle from Lexton Road or any other part of that town centre into St Botolph's and Queen Street, the town centre, you can cycle it or walk it and you do it completely free without having to look around for traffic or cars because you can do that. That's what we're building up here. So St Botolph's is a golden opportunity and then the whole area, the whole area of a, having a plaza, that area outside the Colchester town station as well, which brings me on to the point that I think we should be, if we're looking to build houses, the one thing we've spent the last 40 or 50 years doing is building houses outside of town centres. And then we ask ourselves the question, well, why do high streets not work? It's not just the internet. If you take people out from where shops are, people can't get to the shops unless they're in congestion because they're all trying to get in at the same time. Now, if you then add the transport mix into that, suddenly living in Colchester Town Centre becomes a huge attractive thing to do. And also, you won't necessarily need as many cars on the road as you have at the moment. So it's proper planning for the future. So Botoffs is going to be part of that. I've made sure we're talking to the civic society, we're talking to them again, residents around the area, as well as the local politicians and engineers and people from Culture Borough Council. And indeed, Will, yourself, as the Member of Parliament, you are a very important voice in all of this, and your voice will be heard. But what is important is to have that vision. We can't just have the luxury of looking at now. We have to look at 50 and 60 and 70 years' time and best plan the way we can for that future. And I always say I am not going to pass on a legacy that I inherited. It's going to be far better for the future and we'll set plans in place that take the Colchester Borough on to the 22nd century. Well, I think I think that will that will uh, certainly certainly go some way to assuring people. And so talking about, you know, going on to the next uh, next century, we talked a little bit about the environment and the future of transport. Talk to me a bit about the alternatives to cars, because some people, not all, but some people are not overly enthusiastic about taking away what is currently road space for cars and creating bus lanes or cycle lanes. So how, so, how, how, do, how do you get around that? What a very important and intelligent question, because you're absolutely right. Uh, people don't like giving up what's easy and what they know, and that's perfectly understandable. I don't. Who, who does? Absolutely. You've got to be thinking about that. So what you have to do is provide that alternative. That's not only... Uh, important for yourself, but important for the future generations, important for the environment. The, the phrase I came up with was safer, greener, healthier. And you'll see that coming out of Essex County Council all over the place. And absolutely, that says what it does on the team, making sure you're safe, making sure uh, that the area and what you're doing has no impact on the uh, climate and on the environment. And it's also healthy for you as well, because you are going to feel much better by doing this. So I start again by saying I absolutely understand that not everyone can use alternative transport. And sometimes they have to use cars. And I'm thinking particularly of parents of, with children who have to go for the weekly shop. You can't, you can't do that easily uh, uh, without using a car. But how you use that car and when you use that car is something we've got to think about. So therefore, in my opinion, you have to provide those alternatives and have those in place. And they've got to be cheaper than actually using your car. Currently, I live on Mersey Island, and currently, uh, from buses, it could be cheap for me to drive and park my car for an hour and come home again than it is using the bus. So therefore, we're going to work with bus companies to make sure that that offer is better. And I do use the buses. So for me, when I when I do go to Kent Hall, which is not very often at the moment, but I will be again, um, is I will take a bus from Mersey, very great service, down to Colchester Town, on the train, straight down to Chelmsford, walk across the road, and I'm at County Hall. 
probably far quicker and less stressful than using a car. And that's how we've got to start thinking. All of us have responsibility here to make sure we don't have congestion. I, people write to me on a daily basis saying, I, I think the congestion in X town is appalling. What are you doing about it? I can't drive my car around. Well, actually, the key to that is in the in the answer you're giving me in the first place, or the question you're setting in the first place. You are the answer to this. So just think what you can do. And of course, I'm very conscious. Well, we live in a very rural county, and and Colchester Borough. We talk about the town centre, the part that you represent, but actually around the rest of the borough, the hinterland is very rural, and bus connections aren't very good. So it's impossible for people to start at the moment start using public transport. But what they can do is start their car in a journey, but not finish it in their car, finish their journey in the car. And therefore I'm looking at more park and rides. And the park and ride was really taking off just at the point of the pandemic. And I had a slow start taking off. We need to think more about that. And, and what I'm looking at is in that particular case, you pay for a vehicle, not a passenger. Then it becomes cheaper than using your car to do that. So if you're paying for one fee, then you get four people on a bus, let's say, isn't that for, for the price of one car, that's much cheaper than driving your car into the town. And that's the kind of thing I'm looking at. And that's the start. Now, it's not the finish. And the, the all, in all of this, it's an ongoing uh, uh, conversation and an ongoing planning. And I probably won't see the end of this, but I absolutely want to start the process of this and getting us to think differently. We all have to take responsibility for congestion and the environment. It's not down to a few people, it's down to all of us. Yeah, I think that's right, and we we could certainly use a, a second park and ride to the the west of the west of town for those coming uh, either up the A12 or from uh, Mersey or Stanway direction to save them driving mm. into town. Um, so you, so you mentioned buses, and I want to talk a bit about buses because the Department for Transport has, has just announced some really good news. I think about improving buses. Do, do you think it's going to cut it? Because as you say, let's face it, if it's cheaper for a family to drive into Colchester in a car and pay to park from you know say Prettygate or Stanway or Mile End compared to getting on a bus then that's a problem um, and it's, you know, even with the park and ride if, it, if you're paying per person and it's two three four people in a car it's probably um, cheaper to, to go in and park and then the other thing is and I've tried this before with my kids Kevin you, you think well let's go into the cinema the great idea to get the bus because the kids love the bus and you want to try and do the right thing and you're standing there and you're waiting and this is supposed to be a every 10 minute service and 15 minutes go by and 20 minutes go by and then 25 minutes and two turn up at the same time of the same number so how do we improve both the the value for money and indeed the reliability of our buses. Let me take the, the last point first, because it's hugely important. So one of the, in fact, probably virtually all of the reasons the buses are late, apart from breakdowns and that sort of thing, is they're stuck in traffic. So cars are stopping buses getting through, which is why we have bus lanes and bus priority. And I know people don't like that. The people in their cars don't like that. The people on buses do. So the only way you persuade people to get out of their their cars is having a better, more reliable alternative. So if you're sitting in a traffic jam and a bus is whizzing past and is there much quicker than it'll ever be in your car without the hassle of them parking up the car and paying for it, you'll get on a bus because it's, it's simple. What we don't have is enough of those services. So we need to make sure we're going to work with bus companies to improve those services. And I think the three billion pounds announced by the prime minister and the government is just brilliant. It is the start again of making sure public transport is the first choice for everyone when it comes to traveling. It's not, the, it's not the end of it, it's the start of it. And we need more of this as well. Making sure ticketing is simpler, making sure it's cheaper than it currently is, making sure it's more reliable than it currently is, then people start to use it. You can't force people to use something that's much worse than they currently have. It doesn't work. So therefore you've got to invest in these services and this three billion pounds is the start of that. And I'm now seriously looking at Park and Ride to make sure 
that whatever a family has to pay in a car park in a car, it's less than using the park and ride. And also, one of the things I'm thinking about as well, I'll be talking to the bid, both here and in Chelmsford, and other towns as well, it is that we have a, a click and collect service. So you go into the town centre in Colchester, you buy your shopping, things you want to buy, particularly large bulky items. You can leave them at the shop while you go off and have your cafe, a cup of coffee or lunch or take the kids to the cinema. And your um, uh, uh, shopping will be delivered back to the park and ride waiting for you. It's the simple system that's happened in airports for donkey's years. When you go to buy things in shop, shops, they then uh, leave the, the, them at the boarding gate for you. Well, why can't we do that in our park and rides? Wouldn't that be great? Then you're on the bus, you're not having to clamber with lots of bags and try to find the space and it's all very uncomfortable. You have a leisurely journey back on the bus, you get to the park and ride, your shopping is waiting for you. Simple. That is not difficult. We just need to get on with that. And that just hugely improves people's shopping experience in Colchester and will make them come into Colchester and not bring their car. You certainly would do. And, you know, that all sounds really welcome. What what scope do you think there are for, for things like, you know, the northern approach route into town? You know, I know there was land set aside. You can sort of see it fenced off uh, on the opposite side of the hospital for a rapid bus lane. Can you see things like that uh, coming yep. forward? Yes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, let me just say on that, Will, because you know we're planning a rapid transit system uh, to do with uh, the garden community. For me, it's not just the garden community. We need rapid transit systems across the whole county. Can you imagine that we started in Harwich and we ended up going to Stansted and beyond to Cambridge and Harlow and then into London on a rapid transit system? I've always said I was a journalist, um, many people know, uh, over 30 years ago in Essex, and I was writing stories saying, there is only one road in Britain that links an international seaport and a very important international seaport, the Freeports, uh, to Stansted Airport and International Airport, and one road links it, the A120. And uh, no one's ever corrected me after 30 years, so I keep saying it until someone does, but I can't think of it anywhere else. But can you imagine if you didn't need to use a car? Can you imagine if you lived in Colchester, you're able to... Uh, go to a, a point, get on a rapid transit system, go to Stansted Airport or go anywhere else on that journey and you never need to get in a car. Can you imagine that? That's what we need to do. So rapid transit systems, good locally, much better globally. If we have a system, and to my mind, the, the rapid transit system is more like a DLR service where actually it's driverless and, you're able, and these things move around all the time. Imagine if we can do that. Now, that's where we need to be with, with this and start thinking bigger than we currently are at the moment. Well, I, I, t I totally agree. And I, I think it, it's absolutely nuts, isn't it? The, 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 if you don't have a car, um, one of the best ways to get to Stansted Airport is to get the train into London and then back out again. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, which is, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's just yeah. totally unnecessary. And uh, um, the one thing I was going to say, Will, what, what is very important in all of this is we've got to all change our mindsets. You can't fix 21st century problems with 20th century ideas. You've got to really start thinking about that future. And I say to all of my team, as I sit there as the cabinet member for infrastructure, no idea is strange and wacky until the point we prove we can't do it. Every idea, let's get it on the table. Let's think really big. Let's think really out of the box for Essex. Essex, I want to be the premier travelling route in the county, uh, sorry, in the country. I'll say that again. I actually want Essex to be the premier place to come to travel in the country. And I want us to link up with our, our neighbouring counties, Norfolk, Suffolk and Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire and Kent and London as well. I absolutely want us to be the place that is setting the pace on this. And more importantly, I want Essex and the East as well to be carbon neutral by 2050 and before if we can. That's an ambition we can all buy into because that's not just good for us. That's good for our children, children's children and great, great, great grandchildren. That's what we need to do. And it's our job now to do that.
Yeah, I think that's right. I'm I, I mean, how you square square it again with the, the borough council, because I'm just conscious that they rely heavily on parking revenue. And I think one of the most frustrating things I think I've ever seen in my time in politics so far was on the day that the park and ride launched, the first park and ride in Colchester. Um, the borough council took out adverts on the other buses in town, advertising free uh, parking in town for the same price as the park yeah. and ride. And I was thinking... <laughs> Guys, we're supposed to be working together here to, to tackle congestion and air pollution in the town centre. So, so Will, you're, you're not wrong there. And, of course, that's that's how local government works. I think local government needs some reform as well, and I don't think we need to be running the system we have at the moment, but that's a whole different conversation you and I could have uh, at some other stage. But what we do need to do is make sure we're working as one team. Now, I've got that. I do work um, very closely with uh, certainly Chelmsford and Colchester, which have park rides at the moment, I've ambitions for more. But what I'm determined about, you can't have competing systems. So you can't have one organisation relying on one income while another organisation is battling to get another income. You put them together. So absolutely, as we currently sit in local government, I'll be very open about it. Unless the system changes, I'd want park and ride to be run by the local councils because that's the only way you're going to stop this rivalry on on uh, charging for people in car parks versus the park and ride. Make it one system. That's how you do it. And then slowly but surely, you can start to improve park and ride, bring the prices down and say, actually, it's a far better alternative than bringing your car in. And as people start to use car parks less and less, you don't need them anymore. You don't make the change overnight. You do it slowly but surely and it works. Well, that certainly sounds like a, a, a very sensible approach that I think people are welcome. So we've, we've talked a bit about buses and, and park and ride. Uh, part of the mix has got to be uh, two-wheel transport and i'm not necessarily talking about scooters and motorcycles although they have a part to play as well uh, but i'm talking of course about cycling now mm. talk to me about the netherlands because they they seem to have the most incredible cycling infrastructure I mean, why haven't we replicated what they've done and ensured sort of well-maintained safe and easy cycle routes for everyone i mean i i conscious we put them in in new build developments but they're very patchy and you can be you know, shooting along a a, a a, a cycleway or a shared pathway and then all of a sudden they just stop and you're in the middle of a middle of a busy road well it comes down to how policy has been set in the past so uh, looking for where i'm sitting the policies of the united kingdom have been to build more roads and have more cars and to have a car is some sort of status symbol of, of wealth well not to me uh, having uh, the bus as the status symbol of i'm on a bus saving the planet is far better than i have a fantastic car. Now, I'm not, I'm not against cars. If you want a nice car, that's fine. Uh, but actually, I think the bus and alternative sustainable transport is a better way to go for all the reasons we've talked around safer, greener, healthier. Now, the Netherlands have a very different view, as do other countries as well, but they have a very different view. And their view is very much that we need to, obviously, they use cars, clearly they do, but actually priorities need given to cycleways. And and that's what we need to do. And that's what I'm trying to replicate here. Now, it's, it's a little difficult in the historic towns like culture because of the network and the way it's laid out currently so whatever you do is going to impinge on someone so that's why it's got to be done carefully and with a lot of thought and with engagement with people as well not having them in conflict once we crack the nut that says the environment is all our responsibility what can we do to help then suddenly you're on a different conversation where we're all trying to get into this that will allow uh, some cars on the road because people need to use them, but will also allow for alternative transport, which is segregated cycleways and walkways and busways as well. That's where we need to get our heads. Now, that is why it's all of our responsibility. Someone's got to lead it, and I will happily, while I'm still here, show that leadership because I think this is the right thing to do. But we're reversing 40 to 50 to 60 years of policy that's predicated on the car. 
we now know that doesn't work because we're all sitting in congestion and as we need more homes for younger families coming uh, along in the future we need those homes and we can't get away from it we absolutely need them and we've got to plan better if we just build homes as we have done and plan infrastructure as we have done for the last 20 or 30 years it will be a disaster there'll be chaos on the roads therefore this is the moment in time to start changing that mental attitude for all of us I think I think that's fair, and I know the Netherlands is a, is is pretty flat in in most places, which probably helps. And Colchester being a, a town based on a hill, I I the, the I, I cycle a bit. I'm more into running at the moment, but the idea the idea of uh, cycling up North Hill or uh, even even Ipswich Road with its long uh, incline it f- f- fills me a bit with dread. <laughs> but I think but I think you know ele- electric bikes or park pedal assist bikes are certainly certainly the way forward and they're becoming more prevalent now in terms yeah. of that, that sort of electric future there's a very controversial subject uh, that's on the horizon certainly it's here in colchester and across essex at the moment being piloted as part of a government trial and that is e-scooters now i had a i had a go on one of these a couple of weeks ago this is the spin pilot uh, and i must admit it was a lot of fun but i wasn't entirely convinced about the sort of safety aspect of it that may have been more my riding of it than than um, perhaps the, the norm have you had a go yet uh, not yet because i'm in mersey island and i don't have reason to travel out from home and off the island so sticking by covid regulations i haven't but i'm going to the minute i'm allowed to because i can't wait because i've helped bring these things into essex and there are five trials in the county culture being one of those trials one of the larger trials and it has been by the way a great success many people have been using them now it's a novelty value for the moment for the united kingdom we have them had them banned for many years on the roads. You go to um, countries in Europe, uh, and uh, I've seen them in Barcelona particularly, and they're used by business people. Now that's a big commercial city, Barcelona. Culture, not as big, but it's a commercial town. And people going from business, dressed in business suit, suits and business attire, uh, will have their briefcases on their shoulder, uh, or you know, slung over their shoulders, so it's, it's safely put on there. And then what they will do is go between appointments in those. Now, we haven't quite got to that stage yet because we haven't got businesses back, but that's what will happen as well. Uh, are they used for joyriding? Well, uh, yeah, people use them for fun, but they're not there for just fun, if at all. They're there for a very serious point, and that's as an alternative. Now, the reason we put our hand up in Essex to be a pilot is it's worth trying. If it doesn't work and it's not being used and it's no good, then, you know, we won't do it. The government will decide not to do it. I'm proud that Essex has been recognised by the government uh, to say that, yes, we think you can be a trial area because we want to see what it's like in Essex. And I think that's great. That's great feather in our cap that the government takes us very seriously in Essex. And, Will, that's largely down to you and other colleagues in the House of Commons promoting us all the time that gets us that kind of attention. So there we are. We have these e-scooters it's what i say to people give them a go don't just dismiss them we are learning and the company that does its spin uh, is very open to comments uh they they're they're an international company and they have a lot of experience of this aren't they part of ford yeah, that's right yeah. yeah and i must admit it, it it was very very easy to use i was really pleasantly surprised in that respect. i think one of the biggest concerns people have is that it's um that when they're being uh, driven on the pavement of course uh, the one thing i just want to make sure and reassure everyone about is that uh, the, we have something called geofencing. It's a clever piece of uh, computer engineering, which means they can only be used in certain areas. If you stray outside those areas, the motor switches off immediately. You can't you can't use it any further. On shared capacity, uh, it is very clear where they can be used, and it's very clear on shared capacity where pedestrians and uh, scooters and cyclists can be, and they are in uh, areas where we don't have high speed uh, traveling either. So 
they should be safe. If there's any bad behavior, we need to know about it. And spin takes very um, uh, rigorous action if that's the case. They're being misused in any way at all. But this is an option for the future. And I just remind people that in other parts of the world, not far from here, they are used a lot by businesses. Getting around, getting around Colchester Town Centre particularly, if you're in business, uh, by using the scooter is a great way to travel. And then for those who have to walk up uh, North Hill or fancy, not fancy cycling up North Hill, you've got an e-scooter. And that, that will be the trial for people. And certainly when I use one, I'll be going up North Hill and say, see if it'll take me up there. Kevin, one of the issues that often gets raised with me is surface water flooding. And we, we, we know that there in, there's an issue on Cowdery Avenue and several other parts around Shrub End and other parts of town. And I'm conscious that lots of houses in Colchester would have been built at a time when people had one car or maybe not even a car at all. And lots of uh, lovely grassed um, front gardens that have now been tarmacked over or block paved and turned into, in effect, mini car parks. Does that have an impact on surface water flooding and can our drains cope? Uh, so it can do. It can have a, an impact. I mean, I, I don't know specific cases, but certainly anything you do that involves drainage or drainage pipe, you've got to be very careful. I do know of some areas where people have had driveways done and inadvertently have either blocked gullies or, or, or blocked pipes as a result of doing that work and then it causes a problem. Um, so I think if people are going to do this work, just be very careful you know where you're doing it and the people doing the work for you, you know what you're doing. It's, and it just makes common sense you do that. Um, the real issue around flooding, though, is largely the kind of, uh, and the amount of rain we get in one go. So we are seeing lots of heavy rain for a long, sustained period of, of time. I'm told by a meteorologist that actually, uh, that's a difference to how it used to be, and therefore we're getting lots of rain very quickly, and the drains can't physically cope. Now, a lot of the drainage system is quite old. Uh, it, it, is, it is replaced uh, as often as it can be, but it's quite old, and therefore we are having an issue with some of the water not getting away because of the amount of water that's coming down. So in the last couple of days, it's drizzled. That's absolutely fine, but a bit of rain, it's gone away because the drains can cope. Just before Christmas, in December, we had three or four days of really constant, heavy, heavy rain, across the country, certainly here in the east of England, and the drains just couldn't cope that, and suddenly you get surface water flooding. It happens. So therefore, we do go out and we try and rod those drains if they need it. Quite often, they don't need rodding. It's just the amount of water, the volume of water that goes down, them, and you just have to wait for it to dissipate. So part of infrastructure work and planning for housing in the future is not just making sure the utility can be provided, but make sure the utility works properly for all the extra housing being connected to it. So, I mean, that's one of the sort of changes we've seen over time. Uh, we're, we're going to see a move towards more electric vehicles. There's no question about that. So we'll see lots of electric charging points popping up. If we're sort of future gazing just for a moment, where do you think we're going to be? We're, we're, there's already talk about, well, I think it's being trialled in Cambridgeshire, Amazon dropping off parcels via drone. Where, where, do, you, where do you see... You know, transport across Essex in the next sort of 10, 20, 50 years? Uh, well, for, on the, at the Amazon point, absolutely, that, that has been tried. I think that will be something that will happen in the future. But if you, of course, build a housing where people can live more in town centres, you don't need Amazon, you don't need cars, they can walk down to their local shops, uh, which in these cases might be some of the large chain shops we see as well. Uh, but on the wider point, so here, in the east, we are blessed. Uh, you've only got to go down to the coast. I, where I'm sitting on West Mersey, I go down to the beach not far away from here, look up and I can see the wind farms. We have one of the longest coastlines 
in the entire country and we have some of the largest wind farms, offshore wind farms as well. What we don't do is store the energy currently properly at the moment. So the wind turbines turn when the grid needs the energy. Now imagine if we could store that. Imagine all part of Essex becoming carbon neutral. Not only do we create the energy, we store the energy and it's us for us to use as well. In Braintree, we've already seen the first electric charging car forecourt. I want those all over Essex, all over the country, in fact, but all over Essex. And then suddenly we become self-sufficient in this energy that we are creating and using without having any damage to the environment whatsoever. That's why we need to be with this and encourage people to do that. So if we're looking to the future, my view is this. It's all about how we as human beings think about what we need to do, not just leave it to other people. Think how we do it as individuals. Think about how we are going to travel around. Think about how we are going to adapt to new technologies as they come out and think about how our families will benefit from these new technologies as well. Many more of us are going to work from home in the future. When this awful pandemic is gone, that will happen. That will have an immediate decrease on the roads. Already with uh, lockdown easing and schools going back, we still see a quite a reduction on the roads because people are working from home as well. So long may that continue. And then suddenly you don't need all these office spaces in town centres, which then can become homes as well because people can work from there. And that benefits the economy, benefits the environment, benefits people, benefits health. If we start having that vision, what a legacy to hand on to our children. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that, that's a bit of a glimpse into the future. And, I, and you, you've been very kind and generous with your time. So I've just got one final question uh, for you. And that's that Essex, I think probably, well, it must be the only county to have been successful on two fronts and to be getting two free ports, which is hugely exciting. Uh, and we, we will no doubt talk about that at great length another time. But we've got to talk about that in the context of the A12 and the A120. So what's the, what, a lot of people want to know, what's the latest with both the A12 and A120 planned upgrades? Uh, so the A12 is, is uh, currently underway in the consultation. That is going to happen. And we have a few issues with some of the junctions, not, not the actual junction itself, but how they connect to the local roads. And we're going through working with our local parish councils and other organisations and councillors as well uh, to work out with how these junctions will look, but that's going to happen. The A120, so uh, uh, the, uh, as I've said before in this, this podcast, uh, the A120 is the only road in Britain that connects an international seaport to an international airport, and I'll keep saying that until someone proves me right. In 30 years, they haven't. So I, I will prove me wrong with it, and they haven't. But what I would uh, be thinking about here is how we use those roads. So the A120 from Colchester to Braintree, that's March Day to Braintree, We've got a preferred route from the County Council we've offered to Highways England and DFT, Department for Transport, which is option route D. So there's a connection just south of Kelvedon that takes it straight into uh, the connection um, that we now see at Galley's Corner, then off to um, uh, Stansted Airport. We've now got to start thinking, and we're just waiting for the government to announce. So will anything you and your colleagues, and I know you've been on this brilliantly so far, you, Pretty, Bernard, Giles, uh, James, all people in the area, Vicky, have been just brilliant at lobbying this. We just need to make the government get over the line and say, yes, that's going ahead. And I feel fairly confident that's going to happen. Then they can do the connection on the A12 at the same time they're, they're building the A12. Um, but then there's the other bit that goes from your constituency up to where Bernard and Giles are in the tendering area, up to Harwich. We've got to start thinking about what that looks like and improving that. Because also, as well as the Freeport, Harwich is a designated secondary port for Dover after the Brexit negotiations. So that's hugely important as well to bear in mind. So Harry just suddenly becoming 
once again a very important port as it once was will be again in the future so i think that's hugely important but you've got to have the technology and the infrastructure to go with that and not just vehicles on the road okay how we can use that so trains become hugely important and looking at how we can improve the train lines for freight to carry that so already felixstowe uh, is a is a, a port there the other side of harwich is all part of the same group the freeport and you've got the containers there what we can do in harwich we don't have that kind of rail connection in the same way there there is rail connection but not in the same way so what can we do to improve that so that's going to be hugely important and then finally on this as well is around the economy and jobs the green job agenda is marching up uh, the national importance rapidly because new technologies mean new jobs. It doesn't just mean for younger people, it means for all ages as well. And there's a huge opportunity in finding new technologies in the environment and green sector for jobs. And our free ports are going to be part of that around the logistics as well. So I think there's a real golden opportunity here, not just to improve climate change and the planet, but improve people's livelihood and their future as well. You know, free ports aren't just about having a free port. They're about how we're going to change society as a result of it as well. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. And it's a great opportunity for, for Essex and, and our, our region. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunities that, that, that come with it. Uh, Kevin, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much. Um, I think people are going to find this one really interesting. I hope we can do another one again uh, sure. in, in, the, in the not so distant future so we can keep talking about some of these really important issues to uh, people's everyday lives. Keep fixing those uh, potholes and thank you again for your time. Great being with you, Will, and I can show you the gangs are out right now fixing these potholes. <laughs>